listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want to talk to you today about something that is extremely important, extremely important. Um, If you are a part of the Victory Tribe, you watch this broadcast on a regular basis. Let me say, you understand that, you know, I'm Pentecostal. We are Pentecostal. We're not ashamed that we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak with tongues, believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. Not ashamed of that. But even within the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement, um, there are some different thoughts about speaking in tongues. And one in particular that I want to deal with today that will help you. And by the way, I'm working on a book right now that's going to be coming out this year that's called The Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide to Speaking in Tongues. And it's going to be, um, I'm going to be doing a series of Spirit-Filled Believer's Guides that are topical. So we'll do them on the rapture and tithing and speaking in tongues and just all the things people have questions on. Um, But the very first one I wanted to release was on speaking in tongues because um, it needs to be clearly broken down and questions need to be answered. You know, and that's basically what I'm using the book to do. All the main questions that people have about speaking in tongues, we're going to deal with them in the book. So um, all the main stuff, but one of them today I want to deal with because this is so vitally important and I hear it so often from Pentecostals and Charismatics that I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like taken aback by it because um, it's, it's almost like it is the Baptist standpoint or viewpoint of what speaking in tongues was. Of course, they don't believe speaking in tongues is still happening today, but we want to deal with this. And I want to show you, because this is number one, going to build your faith, but it's also going to reveal to you or explain to you why speaking in tongues as a gift from God is so vitally important to the believer. And, uh, and, and so we're going to cover this real quickly and I want you to see it. I'm going to show it to you in the word of God and I want you to, uh, put it in your spirit and I want you to meditate on this and understand the power of speaking in tongues. But you've got to, um, you've got to see what I'm showing you today needs to be understood by, especially by every Pentecostal, every charismatic. And so on the subject of speaking in tongues, we're going to go to the word of God and I want to show you some things that are going to help you greatly. So let me start here. Um, by the way, for somebody, for Martin on the web, can somebody pop the uh, link uh, for the Miracle Word Kids vlog into the comments for him? He can't seem to find it on YouTube. Um, so let, let's dive into this because I want to show it to you from scripture so that you can clearly see um, what I'm talking about. So let's start in Mark chapter 16. Let's start there because this is obviously before the day of Pentecost. And, uh, let, let me show you what Jesus said. Uh, Mark 16, 15, this is what we call the great commission. Check it out. And he said, Jesus said unto them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Now look at this, the end of verse 17. They will speak with new tongues. They will speak in new tongues. Now, the thing that I want to distinguish between today that I told you is commonly believed, commonly held, even by Pentecostals and Charismatics, maybe you've heard this also, is this. Many people believe, and when I say many people, I'm including Baptists, Presbyterians, those that don't even believe that miracles are for today. Many people believe that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that when the believers were empowered by the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, the belief is this. This is the erroneous belief, the belief that I don't hold, that when they began to speak in tongues, they spoke in tongues of men, or to say it more plainly, they spoke foreign languages. Now that's commonly held by Baptists, Presbyterians, Reformed believers that are cessationists, and even some Pentecostals and some Charismatics believe that uh, even on the day of Pentecost, thanks for posting that link, by the way, and I'll I will share yours because that's only being seen on Facebook, but I'll put it so everybody can see it on YouTube and Periscope too. Um, The belief system is that when they were anointed to speak in tongues, they were speaking foreign languages. Throw your hand up in the comments if you've ever heard that explanation given, that the believers were anointed by God to speak foreign languages. Pop that in in the comments, throw a hand if you've heard that. If you've never heard it, Uh, I'll explain to you both sides and explain to you why I don't believe that um, from Scripture. I'm not going to just give you my opinion. I'm going to show you from Scripture why I don't believe that and why you should not believe that either. But you can see hands going up. People have been taught and told that uh, speaking in tongues is, uh, is the ability to speak foreign languages that are known by men for, to, to expand a little more, for the purpose of evangelism. And so what people do is they take you to Acts chapter 2 and they say, see there, there it is. Um, they, they were anointed, they spoke with tongues, the Jews from, from uh, all the nations under heaven heard them speaking in their own languages and it was for the purpose of evangelism. They were able to hear them speaking the glories of God, the mysteries of God, And of course, there was a great uh, influx of souls on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 added to the church. Uh, And so they argue, even those that don't believe speaking in tongues is for today anymore, they argue that that was foreign languages, that they all just were anointed to speak foreign languages. And that's really what speaking in tongues is. This is what they believe, that God anoints you to speak a foreign language for the purpose of evangelism. Okay, well, let's get into that. First of all, let's go to the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter two and look at that narrative uh, on the day of Pentecost. Another thing that I want you to understand is this. When you are determining doctrine from scripture, there is doctrine that you can determine just from narrative passages, meaning it's it's a story. They're telling you what happened, which is what the book of Acts is. 
unless an apostle stands up in the book of Acts and actually does teaching on a subject. It's a narrative written by Luke, the physician, about what happened at the birth of the of the church. Um, so we do have doctrines that we hold as Christians that there's no teaching on in the Bible. Nobody, no apostle stood up in a letter and taught it to a church or Jesus himself didn't teach it uh, in a message, but it is narrative and we believe it is doctrine. I'll give you an example. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That would be a perfect example of something that we hold as a doctrinal belief that Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe that. And it is very important, very, very important that we hold that belief. Because if Jesus was not born of a virgin, if the Holy Spirit did not impregnate Mary, Jesus was not qualified to take the sins of the world upon himself, crucify them to the cross. And so um, that's only narrative. Do you know, there's no teaching in the Bible from an apostle, from Jesus himself, Nobody did any didactic teaching on the virgin birth, but we do have the narrative of it in scripture in the gospels. So we can stay, uh, we can definitely say that we believe the Bible teaches Jesus was born of a virgin and we hold it as a doctrinal belief. But if there is um, narrative that's kind of vague, but then we have teaching from the apostles or an apostle or Jesus that clearly defines a subject, then we always should go with what they clearly taught versus trying to interpret a vague narrative, which is the case here with speaking in tongues. And I'll show you exactly what I mean. So when we look at Acts chapter two, if this is all we had in the Bible about speaking in tongues, there would be a lot of different ways that people could interpret it. If Acts chapter two was the only mention of speaking in tongues in the Bible, which it's not, but if it was, it's a narrative, it's not didactic teaching. So there would be some different ways people could interpret it, but let's take a look at it. The Bible says Acts chapter two, and I'll start with verse one. Listen, when the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were, now this is a very important phrase. Please get this in verse six. And they were bewildered. Why? Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who who are speaking Galileans? This is a very important point in this passage. Very important. How many were in the upper room? 120. So 120 believers were waiting on the Holy Ghost. Every one of them received the Holy Ghost, and they were speaking in other tongues. Now, look at this. Very important that we see this. 
And the Jews, who? The devout Jews from every nation under heaven. They were amazed, catch this, because each one of them heard them, that's speaking of the whole group, heard them speaking in his language. So that means every individual Jew from every nation under the earth, every individual Jew heard the whole group of 120 believers speaking in his language. So think about that. And I'm going to explain this to you in a minute. But what we need to understand is they weren't all speaking every individual language. No. At the same time, simultaneously, every individual was hearing the whole group of believers speaking his language. This is a supernatural occurrence. It's a supernatural occurrence. And then also, watch this as we keep going. Um, Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But look at verse 13, but others mocked them and said, they're just drunk. They're filled with new wine. They're just drunk. Okay, let's break this passage down before we move to Paul's teaching on it. Um, When was the last time that drunkenness led to speaking a new language that you didn't know? When did you last see somebody go to a bar or a club, do shots, and then they could speak Mandarin Chinese? That's not something that happens when people are drunk. You don't get drunk and they say, well, man, now now I know German. It doesn't work like that. So put the whole story together. What was going on? First of all, every individual Jew heard the whole group of believers speaking his language. So it was different, listen to me, it was different for every Jew. Every Jew, no matter what part of the world they were from, according to scripture, they heard their own language. So the experience in and of itself was different for every devout Jew. And then there were people standing there that looked at what was happening and they said, these people are just drunk. Is it possible? Here's the question. Is it possible that the ones who heard it who said, no, they're drunk, were actually hearing what we hear today, speaking in tongues, a heavenly language, which some would just call gibberish? Is it possible that the ones who heard them speaking and said they're drunk were saying that because it sounded to them like gibberish? You see, but there was a supernatural thing happening here. God was allowing the devout Jews to hear the whole group in their own personal language. Now, I'm going to tell you why I believe this before we go to Paul's teaching, but it is my personal belief here that, you know, this is the first time tongues were ever spoken, ever. And and anytime God does something for the first time, he's setting a precedent. Um, it's my belief from what we have in Paul's teaching that they spoke in a heavenly language, as Paul teaches, that's what speaking in tongues is, that they spoke in a heavenly language and then God did the interpretation for those that were listening. The Bible does not tell us, even if you read exactly what the Bible says, which is important, by the way, 
You know, the Holy Spirit inspired every single word of the scripture. So he didn't just uh, randomly throw things into the Bible. The Holy Spirit directed the writers to write exactly what he wanted written in the Bible. So when we read the scripture and it says they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. The Bible does not say, and the believers were anointed and spoke that all the languages of the earth. The Bible doesn't say that. And it is important. That's not semantics, by the way. It is important what the Bible actually says. It's like when people go, well, you know, brother, the Bible says money's the root of all evil. No, the Bible does not say that. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. I had that nut job on Periscope yesterday trying to say, you know, he's probably going to take an offering. And, and, and why would he do that if money's the root of all evil? The Bible doesn't say money's the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So it does matter what the scripture actually says. And there's nowhere in the book of Acts that it says, and they were all anointed by the Holy Spirit and they all spoke every language under heaven. Does not say that anywhere in the book of Acts. What it says is they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and every Jew from every nation under the, under the earth or under the heavens heard them speaking his language. There's a difference there. There's a massive difference there. Doesn't say they were speaking human languages. It says the Jews heard them in their own language, which I've already shown you is, is wild because every Jew simultaneously heard the whole crowd speaking his language. That's, that's God doing the interpretation. There's nothing else it could be. There's nothing else it could be because when you read this, you see that it's telling us every individual heard the whole group speaking his language. And then when we go on further, now this is narrative. This is a story. This is not didactic teaching. It's not Paul standing up and saying, now here's what speaking in tongues is. It's believers speaking foreign languages. No, it's just the narrative of what happened on the day of Pentecost. But later, Paul takes time explaining to the church in Greece, in 1 Corinthians, what speaking in tongues is, defines it, talks about it, and helps them understand it, which we're, we're going to go there in a moment. But I want you to see, even from the book of Acts, you can't responsibly interpret the scripture to say they were all just speaking foreign languages because the Bible doesn't say that. It does not say that. It says each Jew heard them speaking his language and others said, no, they're just drunk. Well, which one is it? You know, because you can't have it both ways. They said, wow, aren't, the, aren't these all Galileans? Aren't these people all from Galilee? How are they speaking my language? That's what some of them said. Then others said, wait, no, they're just drunk. Well, you can't be both. It can't be both things, right? Because as I pointed out a moment ago, drunkenness does not lead to the learning, to the instantaneous learning of a foreign language. I would never see somebody get drunk and be like, wow, 
here in a minute, man, he's so drunk that here in a minute, he's going to start speaking a foreign language. No, it doesn't happen like that. And you know that. And so do I. So they all were seeing the same thing. Remember this. And I want you to put this in the comments. Everyone was seeing the same thing. That's important. Those that heard them speaking in their own language, they saw that and heard the same thing. Those that said they were drunk, they were seeing the same experience, but it was different to them than it was to the devout Jews. Why? Because God was interacting with people, had to have been, had to have been. There's nothing else that could have happened. Everyone was seeing the same thing, but they were all interpreting it differently. I hear German, I hear Mandarin, I hear Greek, I hear, you know, whatever they were hearing. And then others, no, they're just drunk. No, it doesn't work like that. Sorry, you can't have it both ways. And so this was a supernatural thing that was instituted by God for the very first time. And we know, by the way, as you're commenting, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We know by the way, that Paul had to deal with the church in Corinth because they were so immature. And in fact, he says it to them in the very first chapter of the letter. He says, you have an abundance of gifts. You have an abundance of spiritual gifts and manifestation. You don't come behind in any gift, he said to them. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, he said, you, you have all uh, knowledge and, and revelation and utterance. You don't lack any gift. That's what he told them. So they had an abundance of gifts. And then, check this out. And then, on top of that, he goes on in the third chapter to tell them that they are immature infant believers. Think about that for a second. Not only do they have every gift available to them, he says, you are immature infant believers. So that should give you some uh, excitement to know you don't have to be extremely spiritually mature. You don't have to have been a Christian for 30 years to operate in the gifts of the spirit, that you could be a baby Christian. You could just have gotten saved and God will use you to operate in the gifts of the spirit. That's encouraging. That's very encouraging. In fact, if you read the Great Commission, that seems to be what Jesus is telling them. He said, these signs will follow them that believe. Well, who's he talking about? The ones that just got saved. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved. Those that don't believe will be damned. And these signs will follow them that believe. So it's not talking about the apostles. It's talking about those that just got saved. That's powerful, man. Even new believers are qualified to heal the sick, speak in tongues, cast out devils, raise the dead. According to Jesus, if, you're ha if anybody's having problems on Facebook, just go over to uh, YouTube. And that's where you should be anyway and subscribe there. I see people are saying error loading or whatever. Facebook acts crazy. So if you have issues on Facebook, go to, go to YouTube. So now we're in 1 Corinthians 14. And Paul is now specifically teaching them about tongues and interpretation and prophecy. And the problem that they were having, <clears throat> the problem that they were having in the Corinthian church is because it is that they had so many spiritual gifts working that it was actually 
bringing confusion to the assemblies or when they'd go to church, so many people were jumping up and giving a word in tongues and prophecy that it was just bringing confusion in the assembly. So he had to kind of rein them in a little bit and say, listen, when we come together, the purpose of people getting up and speaking is to edify or build up the entire group of believers. And I'll show you that from scripture, but he's teaching them that. And uh, listen to this. Verse 14, I'll go to uh, chapter 14, I'll go to verse 1. And he said, Paul's speaking, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, remember that he's talking in context of a church service or a gathering of believers. And he's going to explain why. But now look at this. Verse 2. This is a very important verse, by the way. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men, but to who? Unto God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So stop right there. And can we see what the Holy Spirit, hey, Marquise, what did the Holy Spirit just have Paul write down to the Corinthian believers? He just plainly said what speaking in tongues is. Do you see that? 1 Corinthians 14.2, he just plainly told us what speaking in tongues is. And it always is. It doesn't change from the day of Pentecost to the letter to the Corinthians. It doesn't change afterwards. It is what it is. Speaking in tongues is what it is. Look at look what Paul said it was by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. You can't read things into the text and say, well, brother, that actually means no one in the room understands him. No, that's not what he said. He didn't say he speaks a foreign language. Someone somewhere in the world would understand him, but not here in this room. He doesn't say that. He said, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. And no one understands him for he speaks mysteries in the spirit. So understand this speaking in tongues is speaking mysteries in the spirit. I want you to write it in the comments right now. And if you haven't shared this, take a minute to share it. Put it in the comments. Speaking in tongues is speaking mysteries in the spirit. Put it down. Speaking in tongues is speaking mysteries in the spirit. Very, very important. Speaking in tongues is speaking mysteries in the spirit. And no one understands him. No one. You know why no one understands him? Because it's not a foreign language. It's a heavenly language. Because Paul just said, he speaks not unto men, but who's he speaking to? Unto God. So if I'm speaking unto God in this mystery in the spirit, I'm speaking a heavenly language. Not unto men. No one understands him. No one understands him. You see? And so here he said, um, now now keep in mind, this is in the context of an assembly, a group, a a, a gathering together in church. Verse 3, on the other hand, one who prophesies 
speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. See what I mean? So the difference between prophecy and tongues is when you prophesy, you are speaking by the inspiration of the spirit in your known language and in the known language of the people present. Go to verse four. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up or encourages or edifies himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, here's why. Look at verse five. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more, I want you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Remember, this is in the context of a group setting. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So the point that Paul's trying to make to these believers is when you come together in a church service, in in an assembly, it does you no good to have somebody get up, stand up in front of the assembly and speak in tongues for 10 minutes and then have someone else get up and speak in tongues for 10 minutes and have someone else get get up and speak in tongues, which was happening. He's saying it does no good because everybody in the crowd, the audience, our understanding is unfruitful. We don't know what's being said. So as a result, we cannot understand and that way, in that way, we're not built up, we're not strengthened, we're not edified, we don't learn anything. And so he said, it's actually better. Uh, it's actually better. No, Paul, be all you can be for his glory. Tongues are not known tongues. Tongues, as Paul teaches and as the Bible teaches, are unknown. I just read that verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. They're not tongues of men. They're not foreign languages. They're not known by men. They are speaking mysteries in the spirit. They're speaking unto God, not unto men. That's the whole point. Mysteries in the spirit. It's a heavenly language. It's not a known language. And so understand that when you're in an assembly, it doesn't do anybody any good for if, if 19 people stand up and all give a word in tongues. If there's no interpretation, then it doesn't help us who don't understand the mysteries in the spirit. So that's also, by the way, that's why that interpretation of tongues is a gift of the spirit. You notice that it is not somebody who is an interpreter of foreign languages. That's not what he's talking about. That's why the interpretation of tongues has to be a spiritual gift. Do you see that? That's the reason it's one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit the interpretation of tongues. Because if it wasn't a gift of the Spirit, any interpreter who knows foreign languages could just interpret what you said. But it's not a foreign language of men. It is a heavenly language. It is a mystery in the Spirit. So that's why we have to have a spiritual gift called interpretation of tongues. It takes the Holy Spirit's power and inspiration for you to know what was said by the Spirit, and give the interpretation in your known language. You see that? And so it's not a natural foreign language, never has been, never will be. Did you know at the time of um, uh, at the time of Azusa, when, when Pentecost was really hitting the United States, 
they kind of thought this too. And so as a result, you know what they were doing? They were sending people out around the world to other nations and saying, listen, don't worry about the fact you don't know their language. Now you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You have the ability to speak foreign languages. And it wasn't working because that's not what speaking in tongues is. It never has been. It never will be. That's not what the gift of tongues is about. That's not what praying in a heavenly language is about. It's not about your ability to speak foreign languages. If it was, why is there zero teaching in the Bible about believers doing that? Why is why does Paul say nothing? Why does Peter say nothing? Why does James say nothing? Why does Jesus say nothing about when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll be able to go to any nation and begin to speak those uh, those languages supernaturally because you've got the Holy Spirit. There's no teaching on that in the Bible. It's not practiced by any believers in the Bible. It's not something they encourage the church to do. In fact, Paul says the opposite. If you speak in tongues, nobody will understand you. Isn't it interesting to you that Paul says the opposite? If you speak in tongues, nobody will understand you. So it doesn't help the church unless someone interprets what's being said. Nobody will understand you. Very important. That's very important. I'd have to, I have to disagree uh, with Brother Norman. He says on Facebook here, I believe when you get the Holy, baptism in the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. You may speak in tongues or you may not at that time. It could be at a later time as the Spirit gives utterance. It's not a requirement at the time of baptism, but many do at that time. Norman, I would have to disagree because every place in the book of Acts that people were filled with the Holy Ghost, they instantly began to speak with other tongues. And we believe that it is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the initial evidence. It's the sign You've been filled with, baptized with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter two, they spoke in tongues. Um, if you go to Acts chapter eight, very interesting because in that context, even though it doesn't say they spoke in tongues, Simon the sorcerer saw an outward expression of an inward work, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and wanted to buy the power. If being filled with the Spirit is an inward work, what did Simon the sorcerer see that made him know they were filled with the Holy Ghost and then offer to buy that power from the apostles. In Acts chapter 10, the Bible says in Cornelius's house, as soon as they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they all spoke with other tongues and prophesied. Acts chapter 19, as soon as Paul laid hands on the believers in Ephesus, 12 men, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They all began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. So in every ex- example we have, in the scripture of people being filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, it either tells us flat out or in one passage, it implies that they all spoke with tongues instantly. And that's why many Pentecostal denominations like the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, they believe that it's the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I hold that belief as well. And the Bible does say... Um, Say that, Andrew, tongues of men, tongues of angels. Yes, but we're talking about speaking in tongues, the heavenly language, and explaining what Paul said it was from Scripture. So look at this. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, I want you to prophesy. 
For the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, once again, in an assembly, unless someone interprets, so that the whole church may be built up. Understand, that's the point of coming together as an assembly of believers. We want the whole assembly to be built up by what goes on in a church service. The preaching, the teaching, the prophecy, the edification. We want the body to be built up, edified, and exhorted by what's going on in the service. That's why Paul is saying, don't just stand up and begin to speak in tongues with no interpretation. Don't do that because it does not help those that are listening. So let me go further with you. Um, Paul teaches this. Let's go on to verse six. He says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who'll get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what you've said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Listen. Verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret in an assembly. Once again, that's the context. Don't be those people that say, anytime somebody speaks in tongues, there should be an interpretation. Bible doesn't teach that. Bible doesn't teach that. It's saying in an assembly, if somebody stands up in church and gives a word in tongues, Paul said, let him pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. Otherwise, listen to this. If you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't even know what you're saying? Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Then look at verse 18, what Paul said. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Notice he didn't say, I I speak in tongues and interpret more than all of you. He's talking about his personal prayer language when he's by himself. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you do. Nevertheless, in church, you see that? So he transitions from talking about what he does privately to what he does in church. You see that? That's a huge distinction that people miss. You got to see it. He says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you do. Verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You see that? Very, very important. See, that's a distinction almost everybody misses. Paul said, I'm, I'm always speaking in tongues. I'm speaking in tongues all the time. 
I speak in tongues more than all of you do. But when I'm in church, so what does that mean? It means what he was referring to just then is when he's not in church. He's talking about as he studies, when he's by himself, maybe as he's traveling, when he's not in church. He said, I speak in tongues all the time, all the time, way more than all of you do. However, when I come into an assembly, I would rather speak in my known language and your known language so that you understand you're built up, you're edified, you know, because imagine it. I mean, imagine if I, as an evangelist came into your church and then you sat down in the seat and they said, welcome everybody, brother Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. And I took the microphone and I just started speaking in tongues the whole time. Speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. And for an hour and a half, I just stood there speaking in tongues in the church, never interpreted what was said. It wasn't a word in tongues interpretation. I just spoke in tongues and then said, thank you everybody for having me. God bless you. Put the mic down and went back and sat in my seat. Well, according to scripture, after that hour and a half, my spirit would have been built up and strengthened and quickened. I would have been personally, according to scripture, but you wouldn't have been. You'd have sat there not understanding anything that was said. You'd not been encouraged. You would have not been edified. You'd have not been stirred up. Only I would have. And the service would have been wasted. Think about that. Think about that. The service would have been wasted if I did not, number one, interpret or if I didn't prophesy to you, or if I didn't preach and teach the word to you, wasted service. Your understanding is unfruitful. So you understand what's going on here. Paul's making the distinction. When I'm outside of church, I'm praying in tongues all the time. When I'm in church, I would rather teach you in your known language or prophesy to you, or if we are going to give a word in tongues, we're going to interpret what was said by the spirit so that we can all be built up. We can all be built up. You keep on going. Um, Let's go down to verse 26. What's up, Adrian? What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Again, you see, that's the purpose of an assembly, to build build everybody up. Um. Now, now he starts to give them instructions for orderly worship services so that what was happening in their services before doesn't keep happening in the future. And this is what he says. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at the most three and each in his own turn and then let someone interpret it. But if there's no one to interpret it, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. You see that? Let let him speak to himself and to God. Don't get up in front of the assembly and give a word in tongues if there's no interpretation. Just stay silent and let people keep receiving teaching and keep being built up and edified. Doesn't say don't speak in tongues. It doesn't say don't have a private prayer language. It says don't stand up in a service and give a word in tongues to the assembly if there's no interpretation. Don't do that because it doesn't build anybody up. Um, and he's saying, let, if people are going to prophesy, let it happen one by one. Don't let nine people jump up at one time and start trying to prophesy. You see that? And this, he said this, 
Um, for all, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God's not a confusion, a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So what he's trying to say is, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he's not forcing you to prophesy. He's not forcing you to speak in tongues. You can hold that to keep order in the service and go one by one. He's not like a marionette puppet forcing you to get up and scream and shout and prophesy and speak in tongues. He said the spirit of a prophet is subject unto the prophet. So if somebody else is speaking, hold your peace and wait your turn. You see what I mean? God's not forcing you to do it. It's very important that we understand that because I've seen church services where it's in chaos because everybody's just doing their own thing. Corlea, I will pray for you in just a moment. Stick with us on the broadcast. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's verse 12, again, that I read to you. Very important that we keep that in our minds. They were eager for manifestations. They wanted these things to happen all the time. They were baby Christians. It was exciting to them. We got tongues. We got interpretation. We got prophecy. We got all these things. Let's just all do it at the same time. And Paul said, chill out for a second. Do it in an orderly fashion. Let everybody be built up, edified, and exhorted. Don't step into confusion. Hallelujah. Don't step into confusion. Now look at verse 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So let's talk about this for a second. Because all things should be done decently and in order, he's saying, yes, you should have speaking in tongues in your church services. You should have words in tongues with interpretation. You should have prophecy. And he specifically commands them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Don't try to stop it all together. He's saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because you've had an abuse in that area where people are just going nuts, giving words left and right, don't stop it all together. Keep doing it, but do it in order. Do it in an orderly fashion with no chaos. God's not a God of disorder, but a God of order. Because let me tell you, that's what some people have done is that because they they see that there's an excess in a certain area, they'll just cut it out of their church services altogether. Now, let me say this. There are people that have said that any time that there's speaking in tongues in a church service, it should be interpreted. Please get the context of what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, if if someone stands up and gives a word to the assembly in tongues, there should be an interpretation. But he was not saying that any time someone speaks in tongues in church, there has to be an interpretation. Because, for example, I've been in services, I've done it myself, where the church is filled with spirit-filled people. <coughs> and so the pastor or the the minister that's got the microphone may say, you know, everybody join hands and let's all begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Spirit, pray in your known language, pray in English, whatever. 
If you are filled with the Spirit, pray in the Holy Spirit. Stir up your most holy faith, Jude 20. Edify yourself, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So we will all join hands and we'll all begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says when we do that, we have the ability to pray and the Holy Spirit prays through us even for things we don't know how to pray as we should pray, but he speaks and prays through us. So we're able to actually pray the perfect will of the Holy Ghost when we don't even know what we should be praying for. Not to mention we're stirring up our faith, not to mention we're edifying ourselves. So the pastor may say, everybody join hands and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And the church will begin to everybody praying in the Spirit. Well, that's not somebody standing up and giving a word to the assembly in tongues. That's different. And there doesn't need to be an interpretation if everybody is stirring up their own faith, building up themselves, and actually everyone's praying together in the spirit, they're not giving a word to the church. They're activating their personal prayer language of tongues, which is totally fine. If you look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, he look at verse 28 would be an example of this. Look what he says. But if there is no one to interpret... Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So he's not, he's not correcting those that are in their seats speaking to themselves and speaking to God in tongues. He's correcting those that are standing up in front of the assembly giving a word in tongues with no interpretation. But he said, if there's no one to interpret, keep it to yourself, speak to yourself and speak to God, but don't speak to the assembly. You see? Can you see the difference? And that's verse 28, and it needs to be understood. If you don't have an interpretation, if there's no one there to interpret, stay where you are, speak to yourself in tongues, speak to the Lord, but don't speak to the assembly. Don't speak to the assembly if there's nothing, if it's just going to bring confusion, there's no, no edification. So I've seen pastors that are literally uh, forbid speaking in tongues in their sanctuaries. Nobody don't speak in tongues. Don't stand up and give a word in tongues. Well, you are in direct disobedience to the Holy Spirit and what Paul taught the church. He said, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Don't do it. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Now you are doing what Paul told the Thessalonian church not to do, which is quench the Holy Spirit. He said, do not quench the Holy Spirit. If there's a word that's supposed to go forth, let it go forth. And then pray that you may interpret by faith. Amen. But don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't try to stop it from happening. And so the point I want to make to you today, and this is so important, this is a lie that's been believed by charismatics and Pentecostals, that speaking in tongues is speaking a foreign language. Bible doesn't teach it. Bible does not teach it. It's not in the scripture. There's no uh, teaching on that. There's no encouragement to believers to do that or believe for that. In fact, Paul says the exact opposite of that. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. No one understands him. He speaks not unto men, but unto God. It actually should be so plain and understood easily from that one verse of scripture in, in, first, in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, that we should never even have to ask the question again. But people miss this so often. 
And then they go back to the Acts chapter 2, and they say, see that? They were all speaking foreign languages. The Bible doesn't say they were speaking foreign languages. And I broke that down at the beginning of the broadcast to show you why it's important to read what the Bible actually says. Very important to know and to understand that you have a personal prayer language if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost and when you speak it. And I've done broadcasts on this before and podcasts uh, of 10 things that happen for you when you pray in tongues. You There are benefits. And we'll, of course, we'll cover those too in the Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide when I teach on that in the in the book. I'll even talk to you about uh, the benefits of speaking in tongues. I'll give explanation for tongues. But understand, and of course, yes, it's because people are incorrectly taught. Uh, but for sure, one thing we need to understand is as we pray in the Spirit, there are some definite things that happen. Jude 20 says that um, when you pray in the Spirit, you are stirring up your most holy faith. So getting your faith ready for action, that's one thing. Number two, Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that you are edifying yourself. You're stirring your, yourself up or encouraging yourself in the Lord. Anybody ever had that happen? That when you begin to pray in tongues, you can feel your spirit beginning to be encouraged. Throw a hand in the comments if you've ever had that happen. That you can feel your spirit man just being stirred up by praying in tongues. Of course you can. Of course you can, because it's one of the benefits, according to Paul. In fact, he, he not only says that, he says it's one of the ways to give thanks unto God. Same chapter. He said, you're, you're definitely giving thanks, but nobody understands and can't give thanks with you. And so you can see it. You know when you pray in tongues, you're stirring up your spirit and strengthening your own personal faith. Doesn't give you more faith. It just stirs up the faith you already have. Let me make one more distinction before I pray for you today because this is a big distinction. Um, and I do want to talk about it because it's something that's, um, that's also misunderstood. If you look at Jude 20 that I was referring to, um, the Bible says, but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy spirit. People read that and say, well, you know, that doesn't mean, uh, that doesn't mean, um, praying in tongues. It just means praying empowered by the Holy spirit, but that's not what it means. In fact, even when Paul taught this same thing, what did I just read to you? He said, I will pray in the spirit and I will pray with my mind. So understand in the context of what Paul's teaching, when he says, I will pray in the spirit, he means specifically, I will pray in tongues because that's what he's discussing with the church in his letter, praying in tongues. And so when he says, so what will I do then? I will pray in my spirit and I'll pray uh, in my mind. Or, one, or the King James says, I'll pray in the spirit and with my understanding. I will sing in the spirit and with my understanding. So he's actually specifically talking about when he says, I will pray in the spirit. No, I, I understand, Norman. No, I, I totally understand. But when, when, when Paul says, I will pray in the spirit and with my understanding, Paul is teaching that 
I will pray in tongues and in my known language. So Paul's not saying, um, I'm going to pray empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's, uh, Jeremy, you're going to have to go back through and watch because I can't give you all the verses after an hour of teaching. Just go back and watch the replay. Um, it'll be on the podcast as well, Jeremy and Chelsea. So Paul was not saying, um, I will pray empowered by the Holy Ghost. And no, he was saying, I will pray in tongues in context and I'll pray in my known language or with my mind. So I want you to hear this. Every one of you that are baptized in the Holy Ghost are, you have the ability, as Paul said, to speak in tongues. And he said, I do it more than all of you. So the way Paul's talking about it, he's not saying I can only do it when the Holy Ghost comes upon me. No, he said, I pray in the spirit all the time. I pray in tongues more than all of you do. But so do you see how Paul's talking about it? He's talking about it in a way that he has control over it. You know, people say, well, that doesn't sound right because you, you seem to sound like you're saying that you can just speak in tongues at, at will. You can. In the same way you can speak in English at will, when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you can speak in tongues at will. Paul was making that point. He said, when I'm not in church, I do it all the time. When I'm in church, I don't allow myself to do it. You see that? Paul's saying, when I'm not in church, I do it more than all of you do. But when I come into church, when I come into church, I stop myself from doing it. Because I would rather give you words in your known language than I would speak 10,000 words in tongues. So Paul was actually teaching that he has control over his spirit. He even says that the spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophet. Subject unto the prophet. You can hold that tongue. You say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm not going to prophesy right now. Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He doesn't force you to do things. And so people that act like, oh, I can't stop. I can't help myself. That's not what the Bible teaches. You're just un. Uh, disciplined and you're immature. That's why you sit around acting like you can't stop doing what you're doing. Spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophet. And so Paul was saying, when I'm out and by myself, whether I'm studying or traveling or whatever, I pray in tongues all the time. I have control over that. When I come into the church, I curb that. I said, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm actually instead going to teach you or preach to you in your known language. So let me encourage you. And I told you at the beginning of this year, it's going to be time for us in 2020. And now do you see, now do you see why I was saying it? You, you, you come into 2020 now. I told you this back in November, November, when I was on from West Virginia and I, I, I did a teaching on why we're going to need to speak in tongues more in 2020 than we ever have. And then you see everything that's broken out in 2020 and realize it's time for the church to pray in tongues like we never have to let the spirit pray through us and pray things that we don't even know that we should pray that he prays through us through speaking in tongues. And you start to realize why we need to speak in tongues more than ever before, more than ever before. And this is something you should be doing on a daily basis. I want to encourage you to spend time speaking in tongues. <clears throat> you need to do it because not only does it build up your spirit, it stirs up your faith, gets it ready for action, and then it allows you to give your will over to the Holy Spirit and let him take over in prayer. You're speaking mysteries in the Spirit, Paul said. Mysteries 
in the spirit. Corlea, tell me how I can pray for you before we close. And I'm going to pray for everybody. Corlea, you need healing in your body. I'm going to pray for healing in your body and ask God to touch you. And I want everybody to join your faith with me. And then I'm going to pray for every one of you that are watching and ask God to either fill you with the Holy Ghost or give you a fresh filling of the Holy Ghost with a new boldness to step out and do what you're called to do. But let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I take authority over this attack against Corlea's body. In Jesus' name, I lose healing virtue. Command her to be healed in Jesus' name. I take that. I, I take authority over that crippling condition. Be made whole by the power of God and for the glory of God. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, and we give you praise and glory for healing Corlea in Jesus' name. Now, I pray for everybody that's watching and listening, Lord. If they've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, I pray today that the, they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Lord, for those that have been, but it's been a while since they've had an encounter with your spirit. Today, refill them as you did in Acts chapter four with the Holy Ghost and give them a fresh virtue and a fresh boldness to do what they're called to do in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for it. We declare that this is our year of violent increase and expedited favor. We will not miss out on what you have planned for us. And these last five months will be the greatest we've ever seen in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and we give you praise. And if you believe it, somebody throw some fire into the comment section and give God glory and praise. Amen. Questions here. I'll take a few questions. Kelly Sanders has a question on YouTube. She said, your dad said that when people are praying for someone for healing, it's not the time to speak in tongues. Why? The answer to that, Kelly, is that there are nine gifts of the Spirit, and they are for a purpose. If somebody, like we just prayed for Corlea, if somebody needs a miracle, if they need healing or a miracle in their body, the gift of the spirit that we need at that moment is not tongues and interpretation or tongues by themselves or prophecy. The gifts of the spirit that we need are the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, and possibly the gift of faith the power gifts. And so we don't misappropriate. It would be just as inappropriate, you know, to um, when somebody needs a, a healing or a miracle to try to operate in the word of wisdom and try to give them a word of wisdom. It's not the gift that's needed. It's not the gift that's needed. The gift that's needed at that time is healing or miracles or the gift of faith. And so we want to operate in the proper gift of the spirit that's needed at the time. And of course, the spirit makes them available for each purpose that we're uh, doing for his kingdom. And so that's that's very important that we know that. Um, it'd be like if you're, a good example would be, it's, it's like if you were painting a picture. You say, all right, what tools do I need to get this picture painted? Well, you've got your canvas there. You've got all your paints. Well, you're not gonna pull out you know, a drill and start drilling into the canvas, it's not the tool you need. You need a brush, not a drill. And so it's important to use the proper tools when you're doing work for the Lord. And that's why he says that. It's an excellent question. Praise God, Martin. Forgiving, Teddy, you and your dad still coming to New England in September. Uh, we're coming up. All the details are on the website. If you're looking at schedule, um, 
definitely coming to Crossroads Community Church in the fall. Um, and I know I'll be with my dad for that one for sure. And those dates are on the website. All the dates that are confirmed are on the website currently. I'm not sure about Concord forgiving. Um, Jean Jean says, do you reckon those that speak in so-called light language are being deceived? I have no idea what light language even is. I've never even heard about light language. I'll have to Google that one. Kelly says, so if stuck like three syllables, is it about yielding or more about the refill of the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> Just like a regular language, the more you do it, the more you exercise that gift, the more you'll grow in that gift. And, and we speak in tongues by faith. I've noticed that even just over the years of me praying in tongues daily, I have noticed, and I don't have any scripture for you on this, so this is going to be my opinion, but I've noticed that even my prayer language has increased, just like a normal language. And again, that's not based on any verse of scripture. I want to make that clear. It's based on what I've seen in my own personal life. We don't build doctrine around that, but it's just what I've known and seen. Uh, and, and so that's that's the key. I would just continue to pray in the spirit, let God use you. Um, Sissy is asking, what were you saying about pleading the blood of Jesus? Uh, I was saying that I don't necessarily see a scriptural example of it. Why would you have to plead for something that's already been freely given to you through the, the act of redemption? Why would I plead and plead for something that's already been given to me? <clears throat> I don't have to do that. I don't have to plead for a wife. I already have a wife. I don't have to plead for children. I already have children. I've got them. Just as you have the blood of Jesus extended and afforded to you. You don't have to plead for it. It's yours. It's been given. You accepted his sacrifice by faith. And so uh, it's more about stepping out in faith and praying properly over your life. You can pray for protection. You can pray for healing and divine health. You can pray for strength. But you don't have to plead the blood over your stuff. I mean, why would you do that? And where's the scripture we're basing that on anyway? I don't know. I don't know what, what scripture that would be based on. And if somebody shows me one, I mean, I just off the top of my head, I can't think of any in the New Testament where we're encouraged or commanded to plead the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Tujo or Tojo Adams says, plead in this sense is a legal term, not the definition to ask strongly. Even in a legal, you don't have to do it in that. Yeah, Mackenzie, this is live. You don't have to do it even in that context where it's like, I don't have to plead in a legal definition for the blood. It's all, once again, it's already mine. It's been extended to me through the act of redemption by Jesus Christ. It's already been applied to my life. It's already been applied to my life. People would do well to get the book that I wrote called Blood on the Door. It explains a lot of this so people can understand the covenant of protection that we have through redemption, but it's activated by faith. And so um, I, I don't see in the scripture where we have to plead the blood. Thanks, Merle. Looking forward to seeing you. And I know that's controversial because Pentecostals for so many years have done it, but I, I to me... It's not scriptural. It's not found in scripture. 
uh, in that way. Because when you think of that in context, it's like, why do you have to beg God to do something that he already wants to do? He wants to protect you and your children, wants to protect your body, wants to bless your finances, wants to increase your life. Why do I have to plead for him to do that? I don't have to plead. He already sent Jesus and the Holy Ghost. So I don't have to plead in a legal sense or any other way because it's already been afforded. We just receive it by faith and act in faith and speak in faith, step out in faith, and we receive the blessings of heaven. I love you guys. Let me give you an opportunity. Well, I mean, we were we were we grew up here in that Corolion. I don't know how that is that right, Corolion. I'm gonna give you guys an opportunity to sow a seed today before we jump on a plane, head to New York, uh, and from there we're going to uh Washington, Pennsylvania, Champion Christian Center. I want to give you an opportunity to sow a seed and to partner with this ministry. Uh, because let me tell you, time is short and we're doing everything we can to touch this generation by the power of God, you are a mighty part of that. You're a mighty part of that. And so here's what we're going to do. Norman, love you too. Thanks for thanks for being on from New Brunswick. Um, I want to encourage you to partner with us and stand with us on a monthly basis. You can go to miracleword.com. And uh, now we've, we've upgraded it so you can create your own account. You can adjust your sewing monthly, however much you'd like. If you want to change your giving, if you want to change the frequency, whatever it might be, you can set up an account right on the website. Go to miracleword.com and click on the Give tab or the Partner tab, and you can set up a recurring partner seed each month. You can use PayPal if you'd like, Cash App uh, if you'd like, hashtag donate if you're on Facebook or Periscope. Taya, I'm going to be in Horseheads, New York, next to Elmira, next to Corning, uh, at his Tabernacle uh, Church. It's coming starting tomorrow night through Sunday. It's going to be great. If you can get there, get there. Uh, you'll be blessed. For everybody that's sowing $85 or more this month and would like to receive this awesome book by Dr. John Evanzini, Rich God, Poor God, um, Understanding the Perception We Have of Christ Changes Everything, Jesus was not poor. He was not cursed. This book will open your eyes. For everybody that's sowing $85 or more this month, if you would like to receive that book, we want to ask you to go to miracleword.com. It's right on the homepage, but you can go to forward slash offer and uh, sign the form so we know where to mail the book and uh, and be a blessing to you. For everybody that's sowing $1,000 or more in the month of July, we're sending you this hard copy, uh, hardback version of further, faster. It's the latest book that I've written and uh, I'll sign this and send it to your family as well as the genuine leather life application study Bible. One of the greatest resources and study tools I believe that's available. We'll sign one of these and send it to you as well as our way of saying thank you and the fact that we love you and appreciate you standing with us means a lot for sure. And then I've also last thing, don't forget Carolyn's brand new book is available. Paperback. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on our website, shop.miracleword.com. This book will build your faith and teach you about faith declarations and confessions that will bring protection to your family and uh, to your life. I love you guys. Listen, we will be back tomorrow. I'm in New York. And then Uproar starts tomorrow night, all day Friday all day Saturday, and then I'll be with my His Tab family on Sunday morning, 
Don't, don't miss it. I love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me today. I'll talk to you again very soon. Have a great day. Love y'all. See you later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.